And I'm so excited today to be bringing this series to a conclusion. Actually, I'm not. I wish we could keep going for about two more months. But we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, the here and now of God being with us, being in us. And today we want to bring a, a, a kind of put a bow on the box, so to speak. But what I've learned is this kind of has opened up a curiosity that I'm excited about. That Some of you are going like, I've never studied the Holy Spirit and what He's doing in my life on this level before. And so I hope it is, if nothing else, it has challenged and stretched you to want to know more. Because in this series, if you want to go ahead and do two things for me. Well, number one, have your study guide open. And number two, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because as we bring this to a conclusion, let me remind you where we've been in this journey. We talked about in week one from the, from the Gospel of John, how we must experience the person who is the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son, but He's a person. He's the revealer of truth. He is the witness of Christ, and He brings those things to us. And it's important to note that in knowing that He's a person, that person of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and me. And we must express the proof of life change. When He comes into our life, marks us, seals us, it changes everything. Because the first name of the Holy Spirit is holy and so now he wants to live holy out in your life and in my life he marks us and he seals us and from that we saw how that he begins to express the fruit of the spirit in us and we need to embrace the process of life change he's here to sanctify us to transform us from the inside out and so he begins to bear the fruit of the spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. He wants to express that in our lives. And so we want to see those things evident in us. And then last week, we talked about the gifts of the Spirit. And how that each and every one of us that have accepted Jesus have been filled with the Spirit. God's given us a gift or gifts that He wants us to employ. And so we talked about how we... We need to excel in the practice of life change. And that we need to discover our gift. We need to employ that gift for the mutual edification benefit in the body. And that no one's more important than another. That everyone has something to contribute. So now we want to take a few steps back. And look at this passage in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. To talk about the work of the Spirit in our life. In fact, specifically in chapter 2, Paul's addressing this idea of godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And how worldly wisdom, logic, and different things cannot understand the things of God unless the Spirit of God shows those things. So don't worry about standing. I kind of want to just walk with you through these points very quickly. So study God in hand, Bible open. I want to start in verse number 10. He says, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Revealed what? The manifold wisdom of God, that which the world cannot understand. He says, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. That word there is like unfathomable. It's the same word he uses when Jesus says, cast your net out into the deep. Those things that we can't grasp on our own. He says in verse 11, for who among men 
knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man which is in him. I mean, I often tell Laura, I know without any doubt if you could look into my mind, it would blow your mind. Because I sometimes don't even understand me. But what the word says is that my soul, my spirit knows what's going on in my mind. Likewise, he says, even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Why? Because he is God. So point number one, the spirit knows the depths of God's wisdom. If I want to live a life that's pleasing to God, then I need to know what God thinks about it. I need to know his wisdom on the subject matter. I'm looking at my life and I'm trying to interpret what's going on in my life, why the bad things are happening or recognizing the good things that are happening. But I need a spiritual filter for those things. And so the spirit is that which brings that understanding to me of the depths of God's wisdom. But second point is that then the spirit teaches me the distinctiveness of God's wisdom. I know that's a long word, but... But I really couldn't find anything else that started with a D. I'm just kidding. It does have D, D, D. But maybe I have some other things. But there is a distinctiveness. There's something peculiar and specific about God's wisdom. Pick up in verse number 12. Now we have received. In other words, there is something you're taking. Not the spirit of the world. Because the spirit of the world is anti-Christ but the Spirit who is from God. And the only way we can have that Spirit, as we have studied, is to put our faith and trust in Christ, be saved, and then the Spirit seals who we are. We're now God's. He marks us so that we may know things freely given to us by God. We want that wisdom that James chapter 1 talks about that's from above, that comes down. That's what we want. Verse number 13, which Things we also speak. Now, now listen to this carefully. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. That word there basically means to make judgment with something else. That I can't appraise these things on my own. I need God's illumination because on my own, I will mess it up. And so it's like putting a puzzle together. You see all these pieces laid out and you... You can see somewhat of the image on each piece. But until all of those pieces come together, the spiritual, praising the spirits, I don't see the big picture. And God has a big picture for you and for me. That as the spirit's working in my life, the spirit's working in your life, and he's teaching me the distinctiveness of what God is calling us to know and to do. And so he goes on in the last part here, In verse number 14, in point number 3, he says, The Spirit leads us to discern God's wisdom. The whole point here is that if I try to interpret God with my fallen, sinful logic, I will miss it every time. How many times have you in your life had a problem and then you try to fix it on your own? And in hindsight, go, went, man, I should have just stepped back, left it alone, let God deal with it. And so he does it. Listen to what he says in verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. What's more foolish? To look at someone, a sinner, and say, you know what? You're a sinner. There's not one good thing that you can do to inherit eternal life. Go ahead, try it. But you won't. But there was a man named Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to this earth and died in your place. That to the world sounds like foolishness. And probably some of you that have shared your faith with somebody, they turn around and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Thank God. 
that it goes contrary to what the world wants. Thank God it's contrary to the thing that wants to keep me bound. That's why it's foolish. When I accept Jesus, he brings me into a place of freedom. So he goes on to say, um, and he cannot understand them, talking about the, the natural man, because they are spiritually appraised. Same word as combining spiritual things with spiritual truths. Here, though, the word means to judge with scrutiny, to investigate, to analyze, like, like a detective, that we need to look at these things. He says in verse 15, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Why? Because who's in authority over the spiritual man? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, the only being that's over me in regards to righteousness is God. Yahweh, Jehovah. He's the one that matters. His opinion matters only. Y'all with me? And he he affirms this when he quotes Isaiah 40, 13 in verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? This quotation, if you go and read it, says, Who is above God? There's no one. There's no one that can bring revelation or illumination into your life except the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we go back to the first of this passage. He knows the mind of God because he is God. No one in this room is, is infallible when it comes to knowing specifics about the wisdom of God because you have to have the Spirit to know what God wants you to know. Are you following? There is a dependency that we must develop in our spiritual life where we decrease, where we reject. I mean, I mean, some of us in this room, you have degrees. That's awesome. But there's no degree that measures up to the illumination that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because He is the ultimate teacher. He knows the deep things. He teaches us. And He leads us to discern what is the wisdom of God. And guys, I'm no different. I mean, if you're in a Bible study and you're reading a lesson, you probably have come to a place where you're like, you know, I need a little help on this. So you pull out a commentary, you might read that, or you go to a blog, or, you know, some, some kind of tool that helps you. Well, I'm no different. When I came a year ago, I decided, hey, you know what, I want to do things a little bit different because I need help. I know on any given day, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to interpret things, or I'm going to miss a perspective. And so I went to our pastoral team and I said, hey, on Tuesday mornings, I need your help. And so some of our pastors and our uh, sitting evangelist, Steve Payson, meet every Tuesday morning. And guess what? They get to hear my sermon first. They get to hear my logic. They get to kind of dig in with me a little bit and try to look at it from different nuances and perspectives. We call it sermon study, but we just sit and we talk about it. And as I begin to talk about this sermon series, I said, you know what would be fun? Let's tag team preach. But Crosby threatened to wear a wrestling mat, uh, mask, and, and we didn't want that to happen. Because he got one. Did you bring it home from Mexico? Yeah, we didn't want him getting on the airplane and getting all of us thrown off. So he left it in Mexico, I believe. Because they were seldom on the streets, were they not? But they sit in there, and we get to process. And you've got Crosby, who represents a younger generation, all the way up to, to Fred and that we represent a spectrum of perspectives. In fact, if you take and you begin to take Kevin and you take Fred and you take Steve and you take Crosby and myself, there's over, over a hundred years experience of ministry. But more than that, we want to bring to the table, God speak to us. 
and show us, Lord, where you'd be leading us. So I'm going to invite them to come on stage with me this morning. And I want you to kind of have a, a window into our Tuesday mornings. And these guys are going to bring some, some extra perspectives to what we've been discussing. So I'm asking you to let them know how much we appreciate their ministries and what they do in the church as we get started. I did not make fun of anyone's age this time as I did in the last service. I see that I'm middle-aged. Um, you know, Kevin, as we were, were talking about spiritual gifts uh, through this process, um, one of the things that you, you consistently talked and a lot about was the idea of someone kind of embracing how God's designed them. So would you mind taking a moment as we think again about spiritual gifts and share with our people those insights about the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah. And uh, again, every time I sit under your teaching or preaching or whether I sit around the table with you, it always just draws stuff out of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I'm going to say probably is going to sound a little different than the first service because just again, the Lord is just using the Word and using your teaching and all that in my life. But yeah, I, I really commented in our study time as we were together on spiritual gifts because I see and I think there's such a misunderstanding and probably an abuse of spiritual gifts in the church. Not necessarily here, but in the church, in the big C church, the world, and the way people look at spiritual gifts. Uh, and I think that's because what's happening is, just as you were talking in that passage, that we have something that helps us evaluate spiritual things And that's God's words, right? That's the truth. That's the only way we know. And so if we start thinking about spiritual gifts and we don't let the scripture define and describe those for us, we're going to come up with all kinds of ideas of what we think spiritual gifts are, what my spiritual gift is. So it's really important, and I think because of that, the Corinthians, where we've been in this series studying, they got it all wrong because they were not really letting the word, God's truth, govern their concepts and ideas and functions of spiritual gifts. And so, I, you know, one of the things I, I, it just hit home with me was remembering from the get-go. And if you don't get this one right from the start, no spiritual assessment, no test you'll ever take will make any difference at all. The fundamental thing they got wrong in Corinth and the fundamental thing I see going wrong with so many people with spiritual gifts is they don't really understand the biblical design for spiritual gifts. And what that means is, is that spiritual gifts are designed, and it's for one, one thing, others, other people. God never gives us the gift of mercy, the gift of, of, of helps, the, the gift of service, the gifts of speaking. None of those gifts are so you can use them for yourself to strengthen or build up yourself, to make you look super spiritual. And any gift that is done that way is really a red flag that that's not the gift that the Bible is talking about. And that's where the Corinthians got it wrong, and they really got it wrong when it came to that issue of tongues, right? That's where they really got it wrong. They didn't let Scripture help them understand what to think about tongues and so forth. So because the tongues that they were using became something for them. And that's just a violation of the from the very beginning of what spiritual gifts are designed to do. And here is Paul, right, correcting a church about spiritual gifts and particularly that issue of tongues. And some people are trying to use that as a guideline on how to use that gift. They're missing the whole point. You, you just forgot. It's for others. It's never for you. That's right. And, and, and some of the things that, that, that you shared, Kevin, was about our divine design and our shape. So 
there's an image that, that you shared with us. We'd like for you guys to see. You might want to write this down in the notes about how God has shaped you. And spiritual gifts is a part of it. It's not all. But Kevin, why don't you walk them through this and just kind of share to how, how they can find their shape of ministry. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, so this is like a new, not a, not a new tool, I should say. Every one of us around here have seen it, have used it in our lives and our ministries. And you probably have seen it. Um, so it's nothing new. We don't get any praise like, wow, look what you did. We didn't. But it is a great tool. And here's what I want to help you think through with this. That this is kind of like a way to figure out like something of your design, but not the determination of your ministry. And that's where all of us up here would say something like, you know, um, I'm not a real big fan of spiritual testing and assessments with this caveat because some people tend to think that determines what they can or cannot do. And in so doing, they miss so many opportunities that God wants to use them in and bring out and discover new gifts that they didn't see in the test. But tests are good. Designs are good if we learn to let them help us to see how God has shaped our life in a very broad and general way. And it usually comes out with those five things in the letter in the word shape. S is for your spiritual gifts. Remember, God gave those spiritual gifts. Uh, they're given to you as a believer because that's how God helps us serve others in the church. So spiritual giftedness is a key thing. And, and I'll just tell you this. We have a tool that we're going to use, and I've used it with some of our staff, and uh, it came from Fred. Fred, when I got here, said, hey, I want to hand you this tool. Look at this. I think this is pretty cool. And I've used this tool on several of our staff. I've done it with several people already. My leadership group for life groups will go through this test in just a little bit as we finish up our Wednesday night class but the point is, there is a way for us to really appreciate how God has shaped us by first finding out what our spiritual gifts are. Um, number two, the heart. That's a really important thing. In Psalm 37.4, the psalmist said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Now, if you, if you read that and think, oh, man, I'm going to love Jesus and get a Corvette or I'm going to get a Mercedes or a million-dollar home, you missed that point of that verse. He's saying as you delight yourself in the Lord and you love him and you want to please him and you say, here I am, I, I give you my all. When you do that, what God starts doing is working desires in your heart. And they're not desires that just come and go. They linger, they grow, they deepen. And so I ask people, I say, so tell me what in your heart you really would love to do. How would you like to serve the Lord? That might just be part of figuring out their shape, their heart's desire. Mm -hmm. And then A is for their natural abilities. And, you know, we have said spiritual gifts are not the same as natural abilities. And that is true. But natural abilities are something God has given us. And they shouldn't be excluded from figuring out how God is going to use us. Right? And I would, all, I would go so far as to say that in, if we wanted to categorize spiritual gifts, there would be kind of three quick categories I would put them in. They would be like uh, sign gifts, speaking gifts, and, and serving gifts. Now, the sign gifts, I believe, were for the apostles and for Jesus, Jesus being authenticated as the Messiah, doing all the miraculous things he did, and the apostles being the ones who gave us the scriptures and, and, and laid the foundation for the early church. So since you're not Jesus, I'm not Jesus, we're not apostles, then we really look at those two categories of speaking and serving. Yeah. Speaking gifts being like teaching and uh, exhortation, serving like gifts of mercy and help. Your giftedness is going to fall somewhere in those broad categories. Okay, 
So you really want to look at not only your, your spiritual gift is, your heart's desire, your natural abilities. God is going to use it. And then what about your personality? I mean, you might think the devil gave it to you, but he didn't, right? God gave you that personality. He created you and formed you and made you the person you are. Now, it can be used in wrong ways, but it can also be used in good ways. But distinctive personalities are part of God's design. And so personalities are something you don't want to ignore, right? So think about Paul, and you think about the, uh, the Apostle John. Paul is a preacher. He's a speaker. His gift is in speaking. There's no record of John in the Bible ever preaching a sermon. But he sure had some personality and gifts of writing because what he did, or teaching, I should say, through his writing, he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote three epistles, and the book of Revelation. So don't overlook your distinctive personalities and your natural abilities. And finally, your experiences. And these are so awesome because most of the times we look at experiences and we say, I can't believe I went through that. I had to go, why did I go through that? And you know what? The reality is every experience you have in life, good or bad, sinful or righteous, all things, God takes every experience and works together for our good and uses them as part of the way he shapes you to minister to people so that your experiences are never wasted. There's never a wasted moment, as we used to sing a long, long time ago, in the hollow of his hand. He's always using it in your life. So SHAPE is a good little acronym. And like I said, we've got a tool we're going to send out. And it, to me, is just one of the best tools that helps you think through these basic concepts of SHAPE and really not pigeonholes you, not determines what you can or can't do, but gives you a good description. And I've seen it about, I would say, 100% spot on with every person I've seen use it. And and I think one one of the things that's, that's coming out of this is that you can get hung up in your life saying, i, I got to figure out what it is I need to do and never do anything. Uh, so what we're encouraging you to think is, you know what, God's, God's prepared you, he's led you, you've had these experiences in life, you've been here and there. All of those things come to the point of, hey, God, what can you do with this? And, you know, even like in some of our messages, we've talked about how the gifts work in the context of local church. But, you know, we've got some dear saints that either can't be here for sicknesses or they're at home caring for people or maybe... Some of them are on the, uh, at the fire department. They're here one Sunday, and then they've got to go on, and then they come off, and they're not here as much. But God is using them, and they have gifts, because the gifts aren't just to stay in here. It's to get us ready to go out there. But what would you guys say to some of those people sitting at home, maybe today or can't be here, that would help to validate, hey, you've got something to offer? Well, I got a text in between services from a brother out in Texas that we talked about in prayer meeting today. He was so encouraged by the sermon that he watched this, this morning, and he wants to go serve. He said, I'm, I'm compelled to go out and do something. Even though I don't have, I haven't found a local church, I'm compelled to get out and be more involved in using my gift. That's good. Yeah. So my mind always, like I'm running Genesis to Revelation in my head going, what do people do who can't get out and be connected to the church? Because we've rightly said spiritual gifts are designed to serve the church, to serve the body, to grow the body. And that means you've got to be in the body to do that. But what if you're prohibited, you're, you're hindered, and you are, by, div- by divine providence, you just can't be here, right? Well, I go back to thinking about the Apostle Paul when he's in prison. That's, that's providential hindrance right there. He's in the will of God. He's right where he needs to be. And he's not like losing his spiritual gifts. He just has a different context 
in that moment mm. to try to use them the way he's given them. So he's speaking to people who come to visit him. He's praying for people. Uh, he's writing letters from the prison. I mean, God is using his gifts and his personality and everything about him to actually still serve. God doesn't take the gift away just because you are providentially hindered mm. from the normative place we see gifts operating. And I think that's important. So if you're home and you can't be here, you've got a phone, you've got a, a way to text, to send a message. Use your gifts of encouragement. Use your gifts of, of speaking, of teaching, and just write things to people. Mm. Call people up. Just, that may be like you feel like you're in prison, but God's still going to use you even in that temporary restrained context. What he's saying is that in Alaska right now, our brothers and sisters that are negative 50 degrees who can't get out um, aren't practicing baptism. <laughs> no, I mean, we can laugh at that, but, I mean, that's serious. Like, right now, we've got brothers and sisters who, who are believers, but, I mean, they're trapped in their homes. Right. We, we, we've got to get our minds outside of the southeast for a minute and think that around this world, people are experiencing life totally different than we do. Some people don't have a vehicle to get to the church. Some people are being persecuted and are hiding in basements so they can worship. But you know what? They are craving for the giftedness to come out, and they don't want anything to hinder that. But one of the things that we, we talked about, and this, this goes to Crosby, is just talking about how, you know, Crosby grew up a, a preacher's kid. Um, but Crosby, maybe in your story, your personal testimony, you could add to our discussion that would help to motivate people today who want to learn more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives but they think, well, you know what? But I grew up, and I wasn't really saved. Isn't that your story? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> in this text right here in, in verses 14 through 16, the tension is, is there's the natural man, which is the unsaved man, versus the spiritual man, who is the believer who is controlled by the Spirit. And so I found myself when we were reading about this, talking about this, this was, this was me. This was my life. I was somebody who was at church every Sunday, every Wednesday. My dad was the pastor. And so I, I looked at it as, well, my dad's the pastor, so I'm good, right? I, I have this knowledge of the Bible. I, I, I know I've, about the gospel. I've heard the gospel presented, but I wasn't being controlled by the Spirit. I was just living out the knowledge that I had, but I hadn't surrendered my life, and I hadn't become a, a spiritual man, a believer, and I hadn't been used by the Spirit. And so when I, when I think about this, when we were reading about it, I was just like, man, this is, this is my life to the T, right? I was living in the world, and I enjoyed it, right? I, I was a part of the world, and I belonged to the world. But once I realized that the, the title and the position that my dad had or my grandfather had or, or whatever it is, the people that were in my life, once I realized that it had to be something that was personal for me, it couldn't be, it couldn't be their faith, it had to be my own. And not only that, but I had to own that faith. And I had to, to go out and, and be used and controlled by the Spirit. And so, you know, that's where I found myself. And, and when I was reading this, I was just like, man, I was that person, right? I was that unbeliever who was knowledgeable but wasn't living it out. Mm. And, I mean, uh, one of the things that as we're, you know, Crosby was sharing with us um, was this idea of acting spiritual but not being spiritual. But, you know, in this room... There are people in here that struggle with the words of the enemy. Remember, we talked about testing the spirits, right? And what the enemy is saying to you is that, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not trained. I'm not qualified. You, don't you know my past? Don't you know my history? But Satan will use that to hinder you to not use your gift. And so 
Gentlemen, like, what would you say to somebody in here today who is using those excuses of the enemy to say, I'm not good enough to do ministry? What would you say to that? Yeah, so for me, I mean, that was, that was to a T where my life has been. Um, you know, for 19 years, I walked around a church building just like this, people thinking that my life was where it needed to be with Christ. But I'll tell you, I could have won a, an Academy Award for the best acting or whatever it was because it was just a show. And I think so many times we, we walk around church putting on our church clothes and, and acting and playing church. And so for my life, I, I did that. But then when God called me into ministry, I was like, okay, God, you've called me to this. Now how is this going to work? Because there was some discouragement that I faced in my life to where people said, Crosby, you'll never be able to succeed in ministry or even be asked to be in ministry by a church or, or, or be a part of that if you don't have this checklist, right? You've got to have this degree. You've got you to have all these letters beside your name, all of these different things. And so I was like, you know, God, you've called me to this, but yet... I'm being discouraged because I'm told, hey, because you don't have this, you'll never get to be a part of that. And so I found myself being in that place where I'm like, okay, God, you've called me to this. God, you've opened up some doors in my life, but, but where do you have me right now? You know, how do, how do I grow in this and, and all of that? But I, I just think about how I even got here to Ebenezer and, and um, just how, you know, I didn't even have a resume. I didn't have anything special, right? I didn't have degrees or anything like that, but God called mm. me to ministry. And so when God called me to that, he opens the door for that. That's right. And so I'll never forget, I was sitting in Tacoa and Zaxby's, and I was, I was sitting there talking, and I was just blown away. And I, I even kind of laughed because I'm like, why are you even talking to me, right? Mm. What do I bring to the table? I, like, I'm not good enough to be sitting here being interviewed for a, a youth pastor job. Like, church, you listening? I, how, Listen, how, church. how can I be used for this, right? Why have you called me? And, and so I was sitting there, and I'm just like, man, I'm just blown away. And I, they were quite confused why I was laughing, right? But I was confused in myself going, okay, I don't meet any of the requirements that, that people would say are those requirements to be a pastor, right? Those, those, you got to go to seminary, you got to have this degree, you got to have your doctor, all of these different things. I didn't meet any of those. I was a full-time fireman a year before that, right? But God called me to it. And so when God calls you to something, be used by Him and glorify Him in everything that you do. Mm. Because when you are used by Him, it's not about you, but it's about you saying, hey, Lord, use me and send me. And so that's what happened in my life is I didn't worry about any of that. I put that discouragement aside and said, okay, Lord, if you've called me to this, then you're going to use that, mm. that right there. You're going to use me in that moment. And so I, I truly believe because he's called me to that, he's used me every single day. Yeah, so this is a little insight. So here we are every Tuesday morning sitting around together having conversations just like this. And this is what I love about Crosby. Uh, because though we around this table have degrees and we studied languages, how to parse verbs and exegete texts and all stuff like that, Crosby just comes in and brings it right down to earth for us here and just reminds us that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And that's exactly what this story, this is so encouraging to me every time I hear his story. Yeah. It is. And I'll say this and then we're going to go to Fred, but... When you look at us up on this stage, all of us claim that we have the gift to preach. 
But I don't preach like Steve, and Steve doesn't preach like me, and Fred doesn't preach like me, and I don't preach like Steve. See, that's even in the gift, there's a uniqueness. Remember, we talked about that there's, that, that there's strength in the unity of embracing the diversity of the gifts. And so, Fred, what would you add to that? Well, uh, one of the things that has been wonderful to meet after I met Crosby a couple of years ago was that though he had not been through all of the seminaries or trainings like that, his hunger and thirsting for wanting to grow in his spiritual life and in his relationship to the scriptures and interpreting the word and preaching and all like that was, was a deep hunger. And so it, it was our joy, one after the other, and, and Steve had been doing it for a while already to begin to pour into you more and more and to, uh, to, to have watched you grow these couple of years and your confidence in ministry and your confidence in uh, interpreting and preaching the word has been a great thing with beauty. But it was because he was willing to put himself out there and say, I'm willing to learn. Right. Uh, I'm willing to, 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 to start at ground zero and then, and then grow from there. And that, that humility and that hunger has helped you to grow just incredibly. I'm so proud of you, son. I really am. Yeah, and, and I think that gives us all a lesson in here that, listen, don't get hung up. That's, that's why, why Kevin talked about, like, you can take a test, but a test is not deterministic. The only way you're going to find out the lane that God has for you is to get in the lane. You hear it? I mean, you, you get in there and you start working, and if it's like, oh, man, this may not be my match, that doesn't mean that there's not another lane for you. You keep exploring and experimenting, but when you're faithful to say, God, take me and use me in whatever way you would have, I'm telling you, it will blow your mind what God can do through you. But you know what? There are some things that, that hinder us and hold us back. That's why we talked last week about testing the spirits, because... There is abuses of the gifts. There's abuses of our talents and stuff. But there's also abuses when we sin against the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God, right? But there's ways we sin against the Spirit. Fred, you, you had some great insights about what that looks like and what we do from that. So would you share with us about sinning against the Spirit? One of the greatest ministries that Holy Spirit has is the ministry of conviction. And what that, that means is he can point out into our lives ways that we're just not in fellowship with him the way he wants us to be. Conviction and guilt feel the same. It's the same soul pain, but they're different. Guilt is something the enemy uses to tear you down, and conviction is something the Holy Spirit wants to build you up and to, to straighten you out. And so what I've learned in, in my experience from the Word of God, Pastor, is that there are two ways that you and I can sin against Holy Spirit. As believers, lost people can't do this. Lost people can reject Holy Spirit, blaspheme against Holy Spirit, whatever. But only Christians, only believers can commit these two sins against the Holy Spirit. And, and the first one is, is this. Ephesians uh, 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And that whole passage, beginning with verse 21 all the way down, uh, has to do with illustrations of this. We grieve Holy Spirit when we don't allow him to do his work in us. He's got work he's wanting to do in our hearts, in our soul, in our, in our growth or whatever. And, and when we, we hold him at arm's length, the, script, the word here for grieves means to, to cut to the quick, to, to cause to sob and weep. So when you and I don't allow Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do in our lives, 
to, to grow us and to, to change us and to heal us and all these kind of things. We're literally causing him to weep. We're causing him pain and anguish. Now, that only happens with the person. That doesn't happen with the nebulous force in the universe. That's why understanding the Holy Spirit as a person is so important. We can grieve his heart. And these verses in Ephesians give us some examples. It's not an exhaustive list. It's an illustrative list. But uncontrolled thoughts grieve the Holy Spirit. We allow our minds to go places that we have no business going, entertaining thoughts, entertaining emotions and things like that, that the scriptures are so clear to. That just that breaks his heart because we're supposed to focus on the things in our minds that are good and wholesome and, and that build up, not the things that tear down. And then it talks about an uncontrolled tongue grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, a lying tongue or a gossiping tongue or a lewd tongue. That These are examples of how the Scripture tells us that, that out of the heart of man the mouth speaks. And so that's not things that are building up. Those are things that are tearing down. And the Holy Spirit within us just draws up in a knot when, when we do that and we sin against him. And finally, in that passage, it talks about an uncontrolled temper. Grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, to fly off the handle, to be at odds with a brother and sister in Christ. These are the things. And when you think about in any relationship we have, a, a marital relationship, family relationship, friends or whatever, when we have grieved someone, there's something within us that convicts our heart that we want to do something about that. As the Holy Spirit, maybe today, he's, he's touching a point in your life and he's saying, you know, you're just breaking my heart this way. It's tearing me out of the frame because we're, we're, you're not letting me do what I want to do in your heart. But the second sin that we commit against Holy Spirit comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. And then it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. One of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is fire. And it was in our, our background that we've used all along in the flaming tongues on Pentecost and such. And where fire exists, you and I do one of two things. We're either going to build it up and nurture it and fan it to, to take advantage of the heat, or we're going to douse it. And that's the picture here. The picture of quenching the Holy Spirit is when His fire is wanting to burn in our lives, and we pour cold water on top of it. You say, well, what, what, what does that mean? Well, we quench Holy Spirit when we don't allow Him to do His work through us. We grieve him when we don't let him do his work in us, but we quench his fire when we don't let him do his work through us. So when he's moving within our heart uh, to, to say yes to a calling in our lives and we stubbornly hold back, quenching his spirit. When he puts it on our heart to pray and we go turn on the television, we're quenching his spirit. When he calls us to share our story, to share the gospel with someone else, and we say, I'm too afraid or I'm not qualified, quenching the Spirit. And when we, when we see the Holy Spirit move in our congregation, and people getting caught up in worship and such, and we sit back and say, hmm. And, and when we see people responding to the altar in prayer, and we, we say, well, I wonder what they've done wrong, what they've got to confess. Quenching. When Holy Spirit is moving our pastor and moving our leadership to be, to be bold and moving forward in growth, and we say, mm, not me, mm. quench. Mm -hmm. 
And when we quench the Holy Spirit, our heart gets hard and our spirit gets cold. And in the Old Testament, there was an experience of when Israel got that way and their heart got cold and God departed from them. He wrote the name Ichabod across. That God has departed. Now, Holy Spirit will never depart from you because you're saved. He's living within you. But let me tell you what. When you, when you grieve him and when you quench his work, he'll withdraw. He'll pull back. And he'll let you go down that path. And he might even put your butt on a shelf the way he did mine for a season. Until you get so cold and so hungry for a movement of Holy Spirit again. God, whatever it takes, heal my broken heart. Right. That's good. You see, Holy Spirit wants to convict our hearts to where our relationship can be sweet mm-hmm. and, and, and precious in his eyes and not hindered by anything. And these are the two sins that only we as believers can commit against Holy Spirit when we grieve him or quench his work in our lives. Well, if, I mean, if somebody in here today, maybe they're sitting there going, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that in my, my life. I mean, this is more than a feeling. This is truth. And so sometimes we come back and we may do things to, to make these things right that we've sinned against. But what does somebody do um, when they've sinned against the Holy Spirit? Because our, our reaction is in our flesh is to go and go, oh, I need to just go do some good stuff and prove how good I am. And that's what our flesh does. Yeah. Flesh doesn't just cause you to sin. Flesh wants to make you look good. You want the glory. I want to eat the fruit and know the mind of God kind of stuff. But what does somebody do if they've sinned against the Holy Spirit? Well, I think, I think the Holy Spirit gives us the answer to that with our relationships. When I have done something to grieve my wife, or when I've done something that I've, I've rained on her parade, okay, mm. there's something in that relationship that's stressed. And so... I need to do something about that. I, I, I need to go to her and I need to apologize. I need to confess what I've done. I need to repent of what I've done. And, and I need to make that relationship right. And what's true in a relationship with one another is true in our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, we, we come before him and say, Lord, I understand that I have grieved you. I understand that I have, have, have quenched your spirit working within me. But with all that is within me, I want to confess that and repent of that. I want you to have free reign in my life. Listen, is there anything in your life that God is not allowed to touch? Is there any area in your life that he's not allowed to challenge or change? That's the area right there that is either grieving or quenching his work. And this morning, I really think, Pastor, he's saying, let's deal with this. Let's get this right. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing. You may be sitting in here, and you're listening to us talk, and you're like, those are the craziest men I've ever met in my life. And this seems foolish to you. But we just talked about how the natural man sees the things of God as being foolish. And I want you to hear our hearts, and I'm going to kick this over to Steve, because... If you're in this room today and what we're sharing seems foolish to you, then you're not spiritually appraising them because the Spirit of God's not living in you. And so, Steve, what are the implications? We talked about Romans 8. But what are the implications for someone today that may be in this room claiming to be an expert on the Spirit, but they're not? Well, I think, first of all, the, the 
where that starts, the first position of, of where we're at as a human being. Uh, I think this is one of the greatest stumbling blocks in the church. We, we assume because we're in church uh, that we're good, that we're doing a good thing and therefore we're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the truth and the reality is, is no, we're depraved. We, we are, we, apart from God, we have no hope of ever doing anything righteous. And so when you read what Paul has to write here in, in, in Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, and that's critical that you see that, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, in other words, we're not, when you get saved, you're not going to stop sinning. If that's your idea of what salvation is, you need to understand. It, you need to break up with sin. You, you definitely need to break up with sin. But sin is going to be a stalker. It's going to stalk you for the rest of your life. It, it's never going to leave you alone. But you have to make the volitional choice. Say, you know what? I don't want that life anymore. And so he says it, sin is, going to, it, it is death, but the spirit is life. In other words, there's a, there's a dichotomy taking place there. My flesh is dying, my spirit is living, it's alive. Then he says this, the spirit of life is, 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 is life because of righteousness. Now I want you to understand, that's not our righteousness, that's his righteousness. That's his blood, that's what he did for us. Yep. And it brings to mind Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are laboring, let me tell you what laboring is. Self-righteousness. Yeah. That's labor. Where we try to outweigh the bad with good. And it burdens us because it doesn't work. That's right. So he adds that word and, and are burdened. It's an invitation to Jesus. But what he says next is so that you can have rest or peace. And when I gave my life to Christ, it came at the invitation of having peace with God. I recognized it when, when, when the invitation was given that I didn't have peace. And, and listen, I wasn't a good person at all. I, I, I don't struggle with that issue in my life. I, I know who I was. I know what I did. But what I struggle with is the confidence in the Holy Spirit because, because of that, just like what Crosby was talking about. So there's times where I step up in a pulpit to preach, and I'm like, Lord, I'm the last person in this room that should be standing up here. But it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. Come on. And see, when I gave my life to Christ, I, I, was, I was convicted of my sin. But even more than that, I was convicted of the fact that I was at war with God and I was trying to win this and I couldn't win. And as I prayed and asked Christ into my life to forgive me, something happened. Now, I, I'm telling you, I'm using the word something because at the time I didn't understand what the something was, but then I, I learned it wasn't something, it was someone. Because the Holy Spirit invaded my life. And, and, and the person that I was when I began to repent was different when I, when I asked Christ into my life. I was a new creation. Something invaded me that I could not explain. Mm-hmm. But I've never been the same. That's right. That's Christ. That's not me. That's not Steve. It's his righteousness. When God looks upon me, he looks at, through the blood of Jesus to look upon me. It's his righteousness. But you can't earn that. You can't work your way there. It's not about 
just coming to church. It's not about singing songs. It's not even about giving money. It's not. It, no, it is coming to Christ, initiating the relationship. And listen, he initiates that. John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the one who sent me draws them to me. So the come unto me, that's the invitation. And the Holy Spirit is giving that now in this room. Some of you in this room right now, God is dealing with your heart. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, come unto me. Stop the religion. And enter this relationship with me. Repent of your sin and your sinfulness. And I will give you rest. I wonder how many in this room really, if you be honest with yourself, you need rest. You need peace with God. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask if you would, just right now, would you bow your heads? Is okay if I, just bow your heads and close your eyes and just mm-hmm. take a moment right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking you if you've been a, if you grew up in church. I'm not asking you if you, you know, if, if, if you've kept all the Ten Commandments, which you haven't, if you think you have. I, I'm asking you this, do you have peace with God? Have you come to the place in your life where you've come to the end of yourself? Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 turned to his disciples and said, if anyone wants to come after me, they must first deny themselves. Understand that you're the problem. You are what stands between you and your relationship with Christ. You. You have to deny yourself. Then he said you have to take up your cross. That's an identify, identifier with Christ. I'm, 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 I'm surrendering my life to him. And then he says, follow me. That, that is becoming like Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us decrease so that he can increase in our life. So today, right now, if in your heart God's calling you and you desire to give your heart to Christ, right now, would you just pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, today I recognize under your influence and leadership, I recognize I'm a sinner. And I recognize under your influence, I need you. And so today I come by faith that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. That you will forgive me And because you died and on that cross and you were put in a grave and you came up out of the grave, I can have life. I can be a new creation. I can have a new start. Lord, that's what I want from you is a new life. I repent of my sins. I'm tired of living this way. And I want what only you can give me. Your righteousness and your Holy Spirit. Now every head is bowed and every eye is closed and I'm going to make this a very private moment. I'm not going to embarrass anybody in this room. But if you just prayed that, I mean from the bottom of your heart, God touched you and you just responded. You prayed that. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Would you just raise your hand if you prayed that? Amen. Amen. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. I prayed that today. Amen. Anybody else? Today. Today is my day. Amen. I see your hands. Anybody else? This is good. Today I'm trusting Jesus. I'm coming to Jesus. 
I'm going to ask those of you that raise your hand. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. If you prayed that with me, would you stand to your feet right now? Just right where you're at, just stand up. Just take a stand. No, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just stand right up on your feet. Amen. Stand up. Amen. Anybody else? Today is my day. Keep standing. Don't, don't sit down. Stick, keep standing. Stand up. Amen. I'm going to ask those of you who are standing, very private moment, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just step out from where you're at and come right down here? Just, you're, no, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just come on. It's okay. Praise God. Come on. Come on. Church, pray. There could be people sitting around you right now that are scared. Just pray. Man, I don't know your name, but I'm telling you, you just made the greatest decision in your life. Ma'am, ma'am, I I don't know you, but I'm telling you, you just made the greatest decision in your life. Mm. I'm going to ask those that we've asked to counsel. If you are a counselor, would you come? I need a male. There's some decision cards right here. I need a male. Got it? I'm going to pray over you, and they're going to take you back here to this back room. They're just going to talk to you for a minute. I promise we're not going to do anything scary to you. I promise. It's a big room. It's got lots of lights. It's not weird. Okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. What a blessing to be in a room where we can watch the kingdom of God expand and lives be changed. We're grateful for your coming here today, Lord. We're grateful for what you've done in the lives of these young people. I ask you now, Father, just to teach them and show them the way to live. Surround them with people that will encourage them to follow you and help them to decrease so that you can increase in their life. I'm going to ask those of you who would just take those, take those folks out. We've got decision cards right here. Just follow them. I'm going to pass this back to Jamie and let him wrap this up. And see, for some of us still sitting in here, don't white-knuckle that bench in front of you. If God's moved on you and He's calling you to Himself, don't resist it. While we stand in just a minute, if, they, if that... That's you, and you slip on out. We'll get you, get you back there to where you can talk to somebody as well. For those of us and the, the rest of us that's in the room, I'm gonna ask our pastors to come down, and we're gonna be across the front. It's time to fan into flame what the Lord has in you. You've listened today, you've listened during this series, and there's something in your life that's quenching that spirit, that's holding that back, that's that's grieving Him, and you're like, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm making a stake today that it's not going to stop me anymore. So I want you to stand with me. And we're going, to, we're going to be available to pray for you. That's what intercession means. But as you're here today, maybe you're in bondage. Maybe there's an addiction in your life. Maybe your past has crept up over and over again to keep telling you that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that, that you can't. But, but I'm here to tell you that you can The Spirit is the Lord, and where the Lord is, there is freedom. And we have to live in that freedom if we want the Lord to work through us. So today, don't hesitate. Don't leave this room today defeated and downtrodden and held back. Let the Lord set you ablaze. As we continue in this series, 
over this year about moving, there's movement. And anything that would shackle and hold you back, would you surrender it to Him today? So, Father, as we give this invitation time to you, as we sing, I pray, Father, that you would set us free, that you would give us the, 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 the courage to step out now and to come and to be prayed for and to lay it at this altar today. There's nothing magical about the altar, but, God, we have dedicated it to you as being a place where your spirit is. So set us free in Jesus' name. Amen.